Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Trevor Francis, 33 years in football as a player and a manager. Trevor, thank you so much for coming in and joining us today. I've um, been looking forward to, to speaking to you for, for a while, so it's a, gr- a great thrill for me. Um, my first question is, how did you go from being a boy from Plymouth down in the West Country to signing for Birmingham, your first club, which seems to me like, you know, well, it is quite, quite a long way away. Well, in all honesty, I didn't have too much choice. Uh, I'll just give you a little bit of background. I was playing for Plymouth Schools in the English Schools Trophy. Yeah. And I was spotted by uh, Birmingham City. I had a particularly good game up in Birmingham where I scored a hat-trick. But apart from Birmingham, the only other options that were open to me were Bristol City and the local team, Plymouth Argyle. So it wasn't a too difficult choice. Hmm. I decided that I would go up to Birmingham at the age of 15. And uh, my ambition was to play consistently in the youth team. Okay. And then what happened? Well, I did do that. <laughs> I did play consistently, scored a number of goals uh, on, on the Saturday morning um, when we used to play. And then I had a kind of handful of games in the reserves before I was promoted straight into the first team at the age of 16. And, uh, you know, it was quite a start for me. Hmm. Um, scored on my debut against uh, Oxford United. I mentioned Oxford United because... The Atkinson brothers were actually playing. Mm. And of course, you know very, very well, Ron Atkinson, who mm. has just had his 80th birthday, mm-hmm. a very close friend of mine, mm. who was actually marking me on the day. And um, he always tells people that um, he had me in his pocket. Uh, Is that I, true? Well, he, he goes on to say that uh, I had one kick in the whole match. He right. said, mind you, it was the goal. <laughs> yeah. And Ron, he was a lot older than you, so he was probably an old hand at that point as well. Yeah, Ron's been a you know, uh, a great guy over the years. He's tried to uh, to buy me on one or two occasions. Mm. One, Well, on both occasions, actually, when he was Manchester United manager. But uh, I finally did play for him mm. um, at Sheffield Wednesday. Mm. You... you you you've you've seen football through through the years as a player and as a manager and as a as a media guy as well give people a bit of a flavor about what the process was when you were that age back in those days I mean because I think you made your debut around 1970 what what how different it was then what was the process how did they just say look to your to your mum and dad look we want to sign the boy can we sign him and that was that well I signed at the age of 14 uh, that was 1969 and I have a little wry smile now at some of the uh, signing on fees. Yeah. Uh, just as a matter of interest, um, my mum and dad were actually given as a signing on fee a washing machine. Is that true? That is absolutely true. I was earning um, £7 a week, which was fair enough as an apprentice professional. Yeah. 
I didn't think it was quite fair when I was playing regularly in the first team. No. But that's what it was. £7, uh, you know, I remember scoring four goals as a 16-year-old at St Andrews against Bolton on the Saturday afternoon. And then on the Monday, I was out looking at that pitch whilst I was sweeping the terraces. Wow, really? Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's all changed now. I don't think for the better, to be mm. honest. I think that... Um, you know, when we were apprentices, there were 15 of us and we had our regular duties every day to do. Um, I wasn't given any special compensation because I was, you know, one of the lads. Mm. Although, you know, I was playing sometimes on the Saturday afternoon, used to wash the baths, you know, clean the manager's car, um, used to do all these things. And you know what it gave you? Mm. It gave you a real discipline. Mm. And I think some of these youngsters today... They, 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 they go on to these big salaries, which I don't begrudge them, mm. but I just think that, you know, doing what we did as apprentices, it really sort of stood you in good stead. Do you think the big salaries would perhaps take away some of their hunger? A little bit. Mm. You know, it was it was special for me, you know, obviously playing in the first team as a 16-year-old, but I didn't change dressing room. I was still in with the young boys. Mm. Uh, and if I had to go into the first team dressing room, it would mean a little knock on the door you know, before you walked in, mm. you know, you looked up to these guys. I remember ringing home once on a Friday night saying, you know, I've just spoken to, uh, you know, one of the first team players, sadly no longer with us, a, a guy called Trevor Hockey, who actually mm. was a Welsh international who played, you know, for Birmingham City. You know, I'd spoken to Trevor. I was so thrilled about it. I don't think it's quite like that now. No, I wouldn't think so. When you said that your parents were given a washing machine as kind of a signing-on bonus for you going to Birmingham, did you then go and live in digs away from your parents at that age? Yeah, it was it was very difficult for myself. But yeah, it even, must have been hard. Even more difficult for mum and dad. Mm. You know, 14 years of age, you know, losing their boy. Um, not totally losing him, obviously, mm. but, yeah. you know, and uh, they were in the hands of the football club. They provided the digs for me. I, I was in three... Uh, lots of digs, actually, you know, mm. and uh, with some nice families, mm. but it's not the same as being at home. Were you homesick? Not homesick, but there was an arrangement where um, the chief scout, who kind of looked after me, um, said that after every three weeks on a Saturday, I'd be allowed to go home. Now, going home meant going to um, New Street Station in Birmingham, mm. getting the 6.30 train at night, and arriving in uh, Plymouth Station at 12.15, just, wow. just after midnight. So I look forward to that, and I would stay home then from the Saturday night until the Thursday, right? then come back the Thursday afternoon. But that didn't last very long, because as I said to you, after a year, I was in the first team, and of course, they couldn't permit that. Mm. Not that I wanted to, because mm. I was so thrilled at being in the first team. Yeah. How did, how did um, the kind of senior pros at Birmingham take to a a young upstart such as yourself getting there grabbing the headlines scoring goals were they were they welcoming of you or were they kind of annoyed that some of them that you might take their place well i'm sure there was a little bit of jealousy jealousy's mm. always been part of football mm. always been part of football teams and mm. in, in, in football clubs but i think by and large most of them were you know <laughs> excited if that's the word not as excited as what i was but i think that they were just incredible days because I can't, you know, tell you the exact record what it was, but you know, every time I went out, 
you know, I felt if I was going to score. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked about the four goals and then the next game, there was a, 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 a double that I got. So that's six goals in like two matches. Mm. And I had an incredible record of, you know, scoring so many goals in so many games. Um, and I'm sure that as a 16-year-old, I would be guilty of doing many, many things wrong on the field. But I was the kid. It yeah. didn't matter. Mm. You know, so when there were occasions when I would beat two and three players and stick it in the back of the net, everyone would go absolutely crazy about it. Mm. There were other occasions, of course, I beat two or three players when I could just drop it off easily. Mm. I didn't know the exact time, you know, moment when to drop it off, when to play it easy. Mm. You learn those things as you progress in football. So I'm sure that the, the, my fellow, you know, uh, colleagues in the team got a little bit frustrated at times with me, but they didn't get frustrated when I kept winning them football matches no. and earning them money. Yeah, true. And... So let's talk a bit about the type of player you were then, because I, I remember you as a coach uh, in, in, in the 90s, and I'll, we'll come on to that. I'm sadly too young really to remember an awful lot of your playing career, but I've, I've watched quite a lot of it back on, on, on YouTube when I knew we were going to be talking. And to me, you look like a, a intelligent player, two good feet, great finisher, um, turn of pace as well. How would, you how would you describe yourself as a player? I'm making you sound brilliant there, but you were a brilliant player, so it's, it's understandable. Well, um, I find this slightly embarrassing. I've never, ever been asked this question, but All right. it's a good question. Um, well, right, let's start with my greatest asset was my pace. Yeah. There were very few defenders who could match me for pace. Probably one who you may not be that familiar with you, but he, he actually played in Italy. He played with me for about three years. The first year he didn't play with me. Uh, a guy called Pietro Viecowod, who Oh, Viecowod, I remember him. Yeah, yeah. Sampdoria <laughs> defender, tough guy. Tough, fast. Yeah. He yeah. was about the only player who could match me for, 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 for pace. I played for England against him when he was playing for Italy and he was a very, very good defender. So that was one of my biggest assets. Um, I'm pleased you said intelligent because um, I think I did play with intelligence. I think you found, uh, to me, like you found space quite well. You were good at sort of finding the space and occupying it. My movement was very good. Mm. Um, and to have good movement, you need good players who A, can see the movement mm. and, of course, then can execute the pass. Mm. And just quickly moving on to that, you know, there are two or three absolutely brilliant players that I played with in Italy for my team, Sampdoria. Mm. We were permitted two players, two foreign players per team, mm. Liam Brady mm. and then Graham Souness. But I'm slightly digressing there. So back to myself again. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, a very good crosser of the ball. Mm. You know, there were occasions when I didn't always play in the, in the as a central striker. Mm. In fact, you know, when I played in the European Cup final for, for Nottingham Forest, I played on the wide right position. Mm. And I, I was a, a good crosser of the ball um, when the ball was stationary, but also when I was running at pace to the mm. byline, I was able to get my foot around the ball in whipping crosses that mm. uh, defenders didn't really expect. Mm. So... Um, those are a few of the assets. Um, heading the ball, I was uh, reasonably good. Used to get good flick-ons. Wasn't mm. my greatest strength heading the ball. Mm. Anyway, that's enough about myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, the whole interview is about you, Trevor. So we have to... I, 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 the reason I defin <laughs> the, the two feet comes in is because I saw video of when you first broke into the team at Birmingham as, as a very young man. And finishing just looked very natural. Both feet looked very, very natural. I'm surprised you didn't kind of mention that as one of your... 
Yeah, my right foot was stronger than my left, but I used to work, um, you know, for long periods on afternoons as a young apprentice Mm. on my left foot. And I used to work as well on actually trying to execute uh, volleying the ball. Yeah. You know, I think that's an important part of football. And I I became a very good volleyer of the ball. Mm. You know, there's nothing worse than when that ball comes to you and you think, go on, take it on. Mm. And you do it with confidence. And Mm. I used to volley balls very, very well. Um, I obviously scored a number of goals, mm. but I never considered myself to be an out-and-out goal scorer. Right, okay. There are certain players who play in the in forward positions. If they're not scoring, um, they may not hold down a regular place in the starting lineup. Mm. I always felt that a big part of my game was my ability to create. I've talked about I can pass the ball very well, I had good vision, and I was a very good cross of the ball. So if I wasn't scoring a goal, you know, it wasn't the end of the world mm. because I always felt that I would contribute in other areas. Sure. And when you broke into the team at Birmingham, of course, they went through a promotion, got promoted to the top flight. But it seems to me that you didn't you didn't really look back after that. You, you were in the team regularly. You played every season for, I think, you know, a, num- a good number of years. And then you moved in famously to, to, to Nottingham Forest for, for a million pounds, first player to do so. I, I did actually um, see a quote from you when I was preparing for this interview saying that um, you didn't actually particularly like being... Um, being referred to as the first million pound player. The quote is, I had 23 years as a player and I won two European Cups and managed in three cup finals, 52 England Cups, but I'm still always introduced as the first million pound player. Is that tongue in cheek or is that something that kind of you feel is a bit of a, an albatross around your neck? No, what it, what it is, um, if I was to go to a, a dinner tonight, a sportsman's dinner, mm-hmm. I guarantee that I'd be introduced as, um, we have with us tonight, uh, the first million pound footballer, Trevor Francis. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. I just think, you know, I actually played professional football um, from the age of 16 until I was 39. Yeah. 23 years. Now, there aren't many that play at the top level for 23 years. So, you know, there are many things I did in my career. I think, well, you know, sometimes, you know, it's like as if the only thing I ever did was transferred, being transferred for a million pounds. Which was not out of your control anyway. Yeah. But I have to say also that, I'm still very, very proud. You sure. know, I've just got a taxi here now and mm. the, the, the driver was on about, you know, being the first million pound footballer. <laughs> was he really? Oh yeah. What was it like? You know, yeah. because I played for a, a very, very good manager, a very, very demanding manager in Brian Clough who, you know, we talk about, you know, my goal scoring exploits. He was a fabulous goal scorer. Mm. Uh, so every opportunity that came, you know, whether it be for me or for Woodcock or Bertels, he used to regard it as an easy chance. Sure, okay. So his standards were so high. Yeah, very, very high. He, he was, he was a special guy, a special mm. manager. I'm fortunate that uh, you know, with international level as well, I played for the likes of Don Revy, Ron Greenwood, Bobby Robson at club level. Uh, Alf Ramsey, Alf Ramsey, yeah, at Birmingham City. Uh, yeah. he, he was my manager for a short mm. while at Birmingham. Also, the England under twenty three manager whilst I was playing for the under twenty threes. Then at club level, I mentioned Ron Atkinson, John Bond, Graham Souness, mm. uh, Jim Smith, my managers over in Italy. But the, for me, Brian Clough was the best. He was brilliant. And I find the fascinating thing about Brian Clough that he can be um, 
obviously is a controversial character, but and he's firmly far, part of the of, of the of the football folklore in this country. And obviously, there are good reasons for that. But many of the players that he worked with at Nottingham Forest, I, I believe I'm right in saying, came through, and he 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 picked out little gems with Peter Taylor, and they and he would develop them into players. Mm-hmm. You came to the club as we've talked about, with a big reputation, as a great player, as almost a senior pro already, uh, and you were brought in just before, of course, you went on to win the European Cup. How did that affect things with Brian? Because I know that he he treated the press conference on veiling your signing with, with a bit of disdain, really, looking back on it now, the squash racket and all the rest of it, and people can look that up. And he said some things about you which I I would say were quite disrespectful, but was that his way of of kind of saying that I'm the big guy here, not you type thing, because the transfer fee was so large? You're absolutely right. Okay. Living in the Midlands, you know, for many, many years before I signed for Brian Clough, I'd come into contact with him. I knew all about, you know, how he managed. Uh, so all this on the day of the signing was all a little bit of a show. Hmm. You know, he did many, many things. Uh for effect. I mean, he was unbelievable at using the press to his own benefit. And he did that on numerous occasions, you know, with mm. myself. Mm. Uh, I mean, it was the most nerve wracking day, you know, having to meet Brian Clough and Peter Taylor when I was negotiating, you know, signing for Nottingham Forest. He arrived an hour late. Right. You know, he'd been playing squash across the road in Trent Bridge with uh, Gary Burtles, but that was on purpose. Mm. You know, I don't think anyone realised that uh, this was all set up. Mm. But, Listen, you know, he could have been 10 hours late. It wouldn't have made any difference. Mm. I was getting the opportunity to play for Brian Clough. And the only team, in my opinion, who could actually challenge Liverpool at the time were Nottingham Forest. So, Mm. you know, I was fortunate that here I was, you know, for many, many years, I was trying to get away from Birmingham City. Why? Not that I particularly disliked the club. I just wanted to play with better players to give myself a chance of winning things. Mm. Now, Birmingham put a huge price tag on my head. Mm. It was actually double the transfer record. Mm. You know, £1 million was a huge... Don't sound much today. But, <laughs> but then it was a big deal, of course. It, it was a big deal. Were so, you annoyed about that, that he can't, that they trying to almost made it difficult for you to move in that reason, for that reason? I wasn't annoyed because I knew that Brian Clough and Nottingham Forest were involved. Yeah, okay. The only other team was Coventry City. Mm. And Coventry actually offered me a better financial deal, mm. but it wasn't about, you know, finance. Mm. What it did do, of course, was it eliminated a number of clubs who would like to have taken me. Mm. But I was happy. You know, Mm. Nottingham Forest, in the Midlands, Brian Clough. I mean, walking in in the dressing room that day, it was like walking into the England dressing room. When I say walking in the England dressing room, I mean, there's so many star players there. Mm. You know, I I was going for a million pound, but I wasn't, I'd never, ever been the big I am. And mm. I never will be. Mm. I've always been very, very grounded. Mm. And I am and I would like to think that uh, this will come across in this interview. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never lost sight of the fact that, you know, I'm very, very privileged what I've been given. Mm. But I also realise that, um, you know, along the way, there's been some tough moments, but and there's been some great moments. Mm. But I've always tried to keep my feet firmly on the ground. And, you know, walking into a dress room with the likes of Shilton, Viv Anderson, Archie Gemmel, Kenny Burns... Uh, it, it was quite quite daunting, but I was so excited about it. Mm. But you know, because we, we we talk about a lot about players struggling under the weight of big transfer fees, and and in context, no one's really dealt with that more than than you have. 
yet a few months after you sign, you end up scoring the, the winning goal in the European Cup final and, and that's, you know, that's your legend secured then anyway. You didn't feel the pressure at all. You, you saw it as an exciting opportunity rather than something to be a burden. Exciting, but there was enormous pressure on me. Um, I think that comes with playing for Brian Clough and mm. being part of Nottingham Forest and being the first million pound footballer. And also, because at the time, you know, it seems if it's yesterday, but we're talking about, you know, 40 years ago, actually. Um, mm. Quite frightening. Mm. Um, but mm. it was in the month of February and the club had just got through to the League Cup final. They were about to play the quarter final of the European Cup. Then, of course, every Saturday there was the league games. Mm. So I couldn't get any momentum because I wasn't able to play in the, the League Cup final. So then possibly didn't want to change the team then for the next week when they mm. won the League Cup final. So I was on the bench. Mm. So it was I was in and I was out. And of course, a lot of people couldn't quite understand this. You know, I was a million pound footballer, but and I wasn't playing regularly. Mm. I understood it. Mm. You know, I was also aware of a, a quirky rule that, you know, if the team did get through to the European Cup final, for some unknown reason, I was able to play in the final. Mm. So I followed that very, very closely, of course. You mm. know, we, we got through to the final and uh, I was given my debut in the final. Don't make sense, does it? My no. debut in a, in a European Cup final. Describe the goal you scored to win the European Cup for Nottingham Forest for those who haven't seen it. How would you describe it? Well, I was in a deep position, probably about 35, 40 yards from goal when the ball was played by Ian Boyer out to a wide area to John Robertson. Now, John Robertson was an absolute genius. Um, Fabulous player, wasn't he, John Robertson? Yep. Um so well liked by his colleagues. We all regarded John as our best player. Probably the best player in Europe at the time. Really? Didn't, okay. didn't quite get that recognition, but um, he was outstanding. And whenever John had possession, you could virtually guarantee that um, he would provide a cross. Mm. Uh, going past the fullback, going to the byline. So when he got possession, I had to make up a lot of ground. He did exactly as I mentioned, got past his fullback, crossed to the back stick, and there I was coming in with a header. Um, and listen, I've got to make good contact. Mm. I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it. Mm. And I did that. Uh, Are you in the moment or is it all instinctive? Um, instinctive. Yeah. Instinctive. Mm. But um, I scored the goal. It was right on half time. And my momentum took me off the pitch onto the, the discus circle. Mm. And that's another question I'm asked. I mean, if I was to say to you, you know, or tell you, sorry, you know, uh, the top three questions in my career, one would be, what's it like playing for Brian Clough? Mm. I'd always guarantee also that, you know, it would be, oh, when you scored that goal, you landed in the discus area. Did it hurt? <laughs> well, I'm a very honest person. And if I was lying, I yeah. could say, oh, the pain, you know, but yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. Um, it was rubber. Was it? Okay. It, so was, it wasn't concrete. It wouldn't have hurt you anyway. No, but to be honest, I think even if it was concrete, the adrenaline as it was, I probably wouldn't have felt it. No, no, absolutely. And and I think I think we'll go back to Brian just just, just briefly because obviously he's an, he's an interesting character as well. He's held up in such high regard in this country and, and perhaps because he's, he passed away sadly a number of years ago now and a lot of the football narrative has moved on as, as things do because football never stops. It is always worth, I feel, reiterating the fact that 
this is a manager who won back-to-back European Cups with a, a provincial club, essentially. I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but they were they were a provincial, are a provincial club. The reason he's held up in such high esteem is not just because he was an amazing personality, because that is a, a ridiculously good achievement. And you were, you were at the heart of that, and that must have been some experience. Plus the league championship. Yeah, as well, of course. Having just come out of the old second division. Mm-hmm. Um, 40 games, I think, unbeaten. Mm. Numerous league cups. What what made him so good? I was hoping you wouldn't ask that question. <laughs> because I do get asked that, and it's I find it very, very difficult trying to answer. Is it just a bit of an X factor that he had? Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. I mean... What you know? What are the ingredients to you know to to, to become a good manager? Um, today it seems primarily to be about how good a coach you are, how mm. good you are on the training field. Well, I have to say immediately that Brian didn't really believe in coaching. Right at the start of the season, he used to instruct his trainer what he expected. You know, if if it was a a free kick or or a corner. Simplicity was a word that he often, you know, used. And we would have maybe two free kicks, two corners, and we had to do those. Mm. You know, we couldn't stray away from what he what he wanted. So he wasn't big on coaching. Um, when the game started, he never missed anything on that field. Mm. He, he had an unbelievable eye, you know. Um, his ability, you know, as a... As a how can I put it? Well, it wasn't just Brian. It was Peter as well. Mm. I think it'd be unfair just to talk about Brian Clough sure. as the manager because Peter, you know, his, his input was so, so valuable. Mm. But I have to say there was only num- one number one mm. and that was Brian Clough. Yeah. You know, Peter Taylor was uh, instrumental in many of the signings. He had an eye for a player. But when it came to man management, Brian Clough was exceptional. There were times when, you know, Brian would decide that he needed a rest. So he'd go off to his little hideaway in uh, Mallorca. And we were never quite sure, you know, whether he'd be back in time for the match. I always recall one midweek game, League Cup match at uh, Vicarage Road against Watford. We arrived at the ground around 6.15 and Brian wasn't on the, on the, on the coach. And we got in the dress room. He wasn't about. Once it got past 6.30, we were aware then that Brian Clough wasn't going to be there. It mm. was solely Peter Taylor. And you could just sense the intensity had gone out of the occasion. Really? Players just started to relax, just started to take things easy. And it didn't bode well, you know, for the game that was only an hour away. Hmm. You're going to say to me, what was the result? Hmm. We lost 4-0. Wow, okay. So he had that much of an effect. So it seems to me, I'm I'm a big... um, follower of, of what Brian did and I'm a big fan of his work obviously but it was a lot of it was a bit before my time but it seems to me from the outside looking in he was like a some kind of supreme psychologist type he could just read people every time I ask anyone who's been associated with him what he was so good at they do find it quite hard to put their finger on it he was just a brilliant motivator a brilliant studier of people he could read your reactions give you exactly what you needed is that is that fair that's absolutely fair and I, I've often said to people that um, he was highly intelligent he didn't think he was, but he, mm. he was. He was highly intelligent. He was a fabulous football manager. But I think you could have put him in any walk of life. And, and as a manager, he would have succeeded. Mm. He just had that, you know, that um, aura about him. Mm. I mean, it's like this building here. Mm. If he walked in the building and there was a crowd of people, 
immediately everyone would just turn their head. It's that charisma, basically. Yeah. Unbelievable charisma. Yeah. Now, you transfer that, you know, to his team of 11 players who played for him on a Saturday. Um, you know, we did everything he asked of us. Mm. And we'll be tied if we didn't do it. Mm. You know, if, if we were, for example, as a forward... You know, if I was to allow the fullback to make a run down, you know, into a, an advanced position, and and he could see that I could have gone to maybe close him down or maybe just put a little tackle in mm. to slide the ball out for a throw in, we never thought twice about doing it. Mm. The reason we didn't think twice about doing it was because, you know, you only want to get on the end of a, a tongue lashing from him on once or twice, and you don't want that to happen again. Right. And I've seen that. I've felt it. Yeah. And it, it, it's 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 very intimidating. Mm. You know, so you don't want that too often. No, no, no. And, and when, when you said earlier about how all the stuff he did was planned and the, the couple of the references I mentioned, which I felt like, I, I, didn't, I felt like quite a lot of empathy for you in that situation because you're a young man under, under a lot of pressure. And you said, oh yeah, but it's all planned and he knew what he was doing. Did he say that to you behind the scenes? Don't worry about what I do in the press or in the media. Just no, worry about what we do here. Never. never. No, okay. No. Um, I, I spoke some, you know, five minutes ago about the fact that, you know, there were occasions when I... I wasn't able to play because I was cup-tied. Mm. But he'd always take me with the group. Mm. And he he was big on, you know, spirit in the dressing room, mm. having a togetherness. Mm. And everyone used to try, you know, he wanted everyone to help one another. So I think he quite enjoyed, mm. you know, on one occasion when I wasn't uh, able to play. And he, he, he turned to me and said, Trev, listen, you know, you're not involved today. These lads, you know, are going to work, you know, you know, try and win the match, you know, f- for yourself. Mm. Um, get them a cup of tea. Get me a tea. Oh, really? Get, get Peter a, a cup of tea. Really? Okay. So, but then he would go and tell the press. So I then, the, the following day or the day after, I became known as the million pound tea boy. <laughs> and he quite enjoyed that because what it did was... <laughs> I think he felt it was good for the other players because there were a number of players in that team who were actually free transfers. Yeah, of course. And didn't get any kind of recognition, Mm. no acclaim at all. Mm. He didn't want everything to revolve around the big million pound footballer. Mm. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash ramble. I was particularly excited to, to be, have an opportunity to ask you about what you what what it was like moving to Sampdoria in the early eighties. I know you played for Man City in between, but yeah. you spent a number of years in Italy at a time when it would be far harder for a, 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 a person to go over to a different country and play in a different in a different league. Um, the world felt like it was a lot bigger than I think. The connections between people were a lot less um, obvious. How did you find moving to, to, to Sampdoria and, and a completely different way of life and a different way of playing the game? And, what, and why did you decide to go? Okay, yeah. Um, I just finished the World Cup in uh, yeah. Spain with England in 82 mm. as a Man City player. And I was, uh, you know, looking forward to going back to, to have my second year at Main Road. Mm. Uh, that That's not, not a mistake, by the way. It was mm. Main Road in those yeah, days. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realise that uh, Sampdoria um, were looking uh, for a front player. They had just uh, been promoted to the top division in Italy, so they were watching me, you know, playing for England. And when the tournament finished, they, uh, they approached me. It took me by surprise. Um, I made the decision um, primarily because financially it it was just a fantastic offer. Right. I mean. The English Premier League now is awash with money, mm. as we know. Mm. In them days, Italy was the place, mm. you know, compared to, you know, to, to, to England. So I went primarily because of, of the money, but it was such a good choice, such yeah. a good decision. I loved every minute of my time in Italy, more so at Sampdoria. I had mm. four years at Sampdoria when we always played, you know, to try and win. We always mm. played for the top, top of regions. Yeah. Of, of the of the of the league, my last year I was transferred to Atalanta, mm. who coincidentally are doing very well at the moment. They yeah. just qualified, you know, for the, uh, yeah. the the knockout stages of the Champions League, which is pleasing. But now, in in every club, you were allowed two foreign players. Mm. I joined up with Liam Brady, who had uh, just signed for Sampdoria from uh, Juventus, um, and. You know, with it, Italy having just won the World Cup, you know, everything was like, you know, fever pitch in Italy. I mean, they're passionate anyway about the football, but mm. at that time, you know, there was such a great influx as well of foreign players. You know, the likes of, where do we start? Zico, mm. Platini, Boniac, mm. uh, there was Rummenigge, there was Maradona. Mm. Um, 
not in 82, my ad, Maradona, he came... A bit later, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, throughout my time, I was able to play against these guys and it was just a, a wonderful experience. And did you find it a culture shock to move to a different country and have a different way of life or did you find that you adjusted to that quite well? I think I adjusted well. It was a different type of football. You know, um, is it harder to to get space, harder to score goals, or oh yeah, all yeah. those things. Yeah, yeah. Har- harder to uh, to find space. It was more of a defensive approach. Um, you know, you, the chances that you know you, you had. You know, sometimes you go two or three you know games without getting a a, a, a good chance. Really, that much? Yeah. Okay. But you know, it, it was. I mean, tactically as well, I learned so much. Mm. I mean, what surprised me was, um, you know, the quality of the coaching, mm. uh, but not just from the coach, you know, my teammates, they'd obviously grown up, you know, with an education on the tactical side of, of football. Mm. You know, I remember as a youngster, I wasn't really coached. The first time I was really coached was in 1981 by John Bond at Manchester City. Mm. Um, so I was learning all the time. And of course, you know, playing in, in, in that kind of football against, you know, defences that were very, very good. I mean, everybody wanted to be a striker, didn't they, in England? Sure, of course, yeah. And still yeah. they do. But in Italy, they wanted to be defenders. Right. So there's some very, very good defenders. And I think it helped me at national level because I was an England player mm. and I had a few more years, you know, in the England team. And I think I benefited from playing in, in Italian football. And do you think it helps you as a coach as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, you never stop learning. Yeah. And as I was going along in Italy, uh, I mean, in the early days, uh, to be honest, I never considered, you know, management. The first time I considered going into management was, you know, when I saw Graham Souness managing at Glasgow Rangers, because I played for Graham for one year and I started Mm. to become quite interested then in in the the managerial side. Um, And then it, was thrust upon me, uh, you know, at QPR. Hmm. We'll come on to your management career. Oh, you mentioned England there a couple of times. I do I do want to talk about that as well. Another quote I, I, I dug up uh, from you is that you obviously you played 52 times for England, but you had um, some problems with your Achilles tendon, didn't you? So you missed a lot of football through injury. Yeah. Um, you said if you had been playing today and you'd been a bit luckier, you would have got 100 caps, you think. And, and obviously no reason to doubt that at all. But is, is your England career maybe tinged with a little bit of regret or do you feel like, do you think you could have achieved more or was that just that you were a victim of the circumstances? I think I could have achieved more throughout my career. Right. But that's me, Mm. you know. Because you always want to do more. Yeah, but I also think back to the first question that was asked about, you know, me leaving Plymouth to come up to to Birmingham Mm. and that was an honest answer. Mm. You know, my ambition was to play regularly in the youth team. You know, I'd had a knockback, you know, when I was I had a trial for the English schools uh, team. And I didn't get past the first trial. Right. So that put serious doubts in my mind. So I came up to Birmingham thinking, you know, if I can establish myself in the youth team. So, you know, when I think back at my career now, um, I don't have, do I have regrets? I suppose there's always regrets, but I'm so pleased, you know, mm. what I've achieved and what I've done, you know. Many, many people would be absolutely thrilled to play 52 times for their country, but Mm. I was handicapped throughout my career at club level and international level by injuries. Mm. Uh, So it did prevent me from playing many, many times for my country. But listen, I had nine years playing for my country. Mm. You know, not many 
had nine years playing mm. for you know for for England. No, and, and what kind of environment was it at England at that time? Just give people a flavour of what it was like in that era. Well, we didn't used to qualify that often no. for major competitions. So we're at a fever pitch about England these days, aren't we? We're very excited. But what what, what, was, what was it like back then? Well, you know, I look back on you know actual attempting to qualify, and you know some of the games that we played were particularly tough. I mean. I'm not undermining the current player, mm. don't get me wrong, mm. but there's so many easy games now. Mm. You know, mm. when I look at some of the England matches, you know, it, it's it's particularly, you know, uh, it's particularly easy, I think, you know, to qualify for major tournaments. But Particularly in, the Euros, which have just expanded yeah, and made it even easier, yeah. And in my time, you know, I, I talked about nine years, yeah? Now, we qualified for the European Championships with in my time, and I was injured, 1980, 80, couldn't, yeah. couldn't play in it, mm. 82 in the World Cup. That's the only qualification we had. I also look at, um, you know, as a forward player, you know, my goals for, my goals record, you know, 52 games, 12 goals. I'm not proud of that. Right. Um, I've actually scored 12 goals, you know, for my country, which it, it's okay, you know, could have been a lot better. I think I'd have scored a lot more if I was playing today because the quality of teams they're playing against. Yeah, that's no. I'm not taking anything away from the the, the, the Harry Kane. And I understand. Ra- you be honest. I understand. Raheem Sterling. Yeah. You know some of the games that they're playing in now. You know it's a damn sight easier scoring a goal than it was in my time. But mm. you know that's not me. You know sour grapes. That's just you know that that's just fact. Was it was it was the diff with the, the sort of adjustment between club football and international football playing under a different manager? Did he want you to did, did the manager at international level want you to play a slightly different role or do something different that didn't have, or was it was it not like that? That happened. Um, it was only the latter part of my uh, England career when I became uh, what I considered to be a regular, you know, under mm. Bobby Robson. Mm. Um, I don't think I'd have played in that 82 World Cup, you know, from the a starting position if Kevin Keegan had been fit. Right, okay. Kevin was the, the regular starter. So once again, you know, I look back and think, how fortunate was I? Mm. I played in all five matches in the World Cup. Mm. Uh, Kevin was injured for most of them. Mm. Um, if I had not started in all them five games, would Sampdoria have bothered to watch me? Yeah. So would I have played in Italy? Mm. You know, listen, you have your ups and you have your downs, but... I certainly enjoyed every match I played for my country. It was a special moment, regardless of whether it was a friendly or a World Cup qualifier. To me, they were all the same. Mm. You know, once you had that national anthem, it became very, very important occasion. Yeah. And I loved every minute of my time in those nine years. None more so than my debut. 1977 yeah. at Wembley against Holland, playing against uh, the great Naiskins and the even greater Johan Cruyff. Yeah. Magical moments. They the part that, do you think um, Cruyff and Naiskins would be the finest players you played on the shared a pitch with? Certainly Cruyff. Um, yeah, you know, I played with one or two greats over in Italy. Yeah. Ma- Maradona. Yeah, I didn't think I'd ever see a player as good as Maradona or yeah. play against uh, mm. anybody as good as Maradona. Um, I think. I, listen, I'm still an avid watcher of football. Mm. Absolutely love the sport. I think you can tell that the way yeah, I can. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very passionate. I think I'm fortunate. I talked about that I played for nine years for my country. I, yeah. I'm also very fortunate that I'm able to watch the brilliance of Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. Because what they've achieved over the last, keep, should we talk round figures, the last 10 years, yeah. 
has been quite extraordinary. Yeah. These are two players that will go down in history as, if not the two greatest, certainly in the top three or four. Now, that's a bit of a contradiction because I didn't think I'd ever see anybody better than Maradona. Yeah. But these two are exceptional. And you talked about Brian Clough's aura, for example. When you shared a pitch with Diego Maradona, did he have the same aura about him when he was when he was playing? Uh, yeah, um, I played against him down in Naples for, for Sampdoria. Well, that must have been some experience playing in Napoli at that time. Marvellous, marvellous yeah. experience. And then I played for Atalanta up in Bergamo. Were you pleased that you weren't defending against him? Yeah, he was, he, he, he was special. And do you know what was even more special? After the game, we swapped shirts. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you still have the shirt? I do. Amazing. I, yeah. And, Great. Um, yeah, wonderful moment. That's amazing. That is absolutely fantastic to hear. Yeah. Um, I, I could talk about you and Maradona all day, but we, we, I want to move on to your coaching career now because you, you, you made a big contribution in the area of management as well. And... and um, I know your good friend Jim Smith, who sadly passed away recently, is um, is on your mind at the moment. Um, and you took over from him as, as player manager um, at QPR. I'll, I'll come on to a bit about that and how tough that might have been in a moment. But Jim Smith is someone who weaved his way throughout your career, really, because did he, did he sell you at Birmingham City to Nottingham Forest? And you yeah. worked with him very closely. And I, know, I know he was a good friend and, and what, what a great football guy as well. Yeah, he came in in 1978 uh, at Birmingham City and... I think it was the first day he had a meeting with myself and said, listen, you know, I know that you've been uh, keen to get away. I fully understand that. He said, you're ambitious. I'm ambitious. He said, um, give me three or four months. He said, and uh, we'll, we'll reassess it after after Christmas. Mm. He said, I want you to give you give me everything. And if we're no better placed in the league, I'll do everything I can to get you away. Mm. And that was so re- refreshing for me because yeah. I have been trying for a number of years. And I, and I said to, to to Jim, I said, listen, don't worry about me not giving everything. Mm. You know, I will give absolutely everything to you and this football club. Anyway, things had not improved and he was true to his word. Right. And from that moment on, when he sold me for a million pound, we became exceptionally close mm. as friends mm. and family friends, mm. you know, in recent years, um, we, you know, Jim lived over in Marbella, where I've spent a lot of my time over the last 15 years. You know, sadly, my wife died two and a half years ago. But, you know, Jim and Yvonne, Helen and myself, you know, we've spent hours and hours together. You know, we've we've dined together. We've been on the beach together. We've done many, many things together. We've travelled together. Um, throughout football, you meet a lot of people, a lot of nice people. Hmm. <laughs> Jim has got to be up there as one of my closest friends and uh, it's been a, a sad last 48 hours. You yeah. know, very, very sad. He's one of them guys that, you know, seldom do you meet in football when I don't care who I would be speaking to, everyone would have a good word to say about Jim Smith. He was held in the highest respect, fun guy to be with. He really knew his football just a lovely, lovely man. Yeah, you said to me before we came in, you said you'll not find anyone who's got a bad word to say about, about Jim. And, no, and, and if somebody did, I would question that guy. Yeah, quite. I, I, I mean, in a, in a, obviously a completely different way. He's given me some of my best f- football memories as well because he managed the club I support. So very, very sad time. When, when, when you played under him again at QPR and he, he sadly obviously lost his job there, you went from being a player there, a senior pro there, to taking on the role of player manager 
And that must have been an incredibly difficult thing for a couple of reasons. One, because he, Jim's your friend, but also because you've gone from being one of the guys to the main guy. Yeah. How did you make that adjustment? Well, when I came down to QPR, I was 35 years of age hmm. and I wanted to continue playing. I felt fit. Hmm. I wasn't getting enough, uh, you know, game time with Graham up in Glasgow Rangers, Graham Souness. Yeah. So I came down to play for QPR and... I started scoring goals and some exceptional exceptional goals when I was at QPR. Mm. And you know, the London press, they were mm. actually talking about me making a return to the England team. Brilliant. I knew that wasn't possible. At yeah. 35 years of age, they weren't going to return to me. But Was that three or four years after you'd last played for them? Yeah, yeah. it would be. But I, listen, I knew I was playing well. Mm. Um, Jim left to go to Newcastle. Mm. What a great opportunity mm. for Jim at Newcastle. I'll say he lost his job. Sorry, I should have made it clear that he moved on to, to Newcastle United. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, he moved up to Newcastle. Mm. And I was surprisingly given the job as, you know, player manager. And it was my first, you know, job in football. Did you want it? Oh, yeah. yeah. It was it was an opportunity for me to get into it. Mm. I think I was about, I was ready then. It, it took mm. me by surprise. I mean, and the chairman took me by surprise too, because he was only 25 years of age. And he was, the first meeting we had, he said, look, he said, we're in a little bit of a precarious position. He said, but I've got confidence in you that you know, you'll get us clear relegation. He said, I'm a Tottenham fan. He said, and I've looked at the fixtures and the penultimate home game, he said, is against Tottenham. Mm. I went, oh yeah, chairman. And he said, uh, what I want you to do, if we're clear of relegation, make me sub and bring me on for the last 20 minutes. What? Yeah. Did he really? So you're laughing now and that's yeah. what I did. I started laughing when I suddenly realised he was serious. And of course, it didn't happen. <laughs> but <laughs> Was he a player at all? No, no, he no, play, no, play, no, no, he just, he managed the football club and he just thought, oh, you know, love to get on that pitch and kick the ball about. <laughs> Does that tell you everything you need to know about some of those chairmen? Yeah, it yeah. told me a little bit about football. I know what Brian Clough would say about that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was quite an introduction to football management. I bet. And you just, you, start, you, you didn't stay at QPR for too long and your next job in management was at Sheffield Wednesday, which of course, I think is probably when I first became aware of, of, of you as a, as, as a manager. How, how did you look at your time at Sheffield Wednesday? And this was a really interesting time for football, wasn't it? Because the Premier League came into play. The, the game as we see it now, kind of I mean there's a lot made isn't there about how football didn't start in 1992 and we know that but what mm. we see now in football this commercial um, beast that, that the game is in this country yeah. really started in that, in, that, in, that, in that period and you were right amongst it Well I was asked to join Sheffield Wednesday by Ron Atkinson mm. and I thoroughly enjoyed playing for Ron mm. um, you know Ron's been an outstanding manager mm. and I haven't met too many players mm. who have played under Ron who's had a bad word to say about him mm. you know they, they enjoy playing for him mm. I certainly did that he then had the opportunity Ron to move to Aston Villa mm. um, which was you know a great move for him and he recommended to the Sheffield Wednesday board that I should be the next manager now I took the opportunity but I had to change my style because when I went into QPR I tried to sort of implement the training methods that were being used over in Italy that I was using that Graham Souness was using up in Glasgow with Glasgow Rangers. It worked for Graham. Players were, you know, um happy to, you know, do that kind of work, but down at QPR they they kind of resented, you know, the the way that I was, the the discipline uh and I was dismissed. Is that because you've been a player as well? They just didn't. They just didn't. They weren't having it, or just because they didn't want to do it. Just didn't want to do it. Mm. Um, you know, 
I think there are all different types of dressing rooms. Mm. Um, and obviously there were, you know, there were players in that dressing room who didn't really want to do the type of training that was day-to-day sort of training in, in Italy. Mm. They had their own little regimes, little, little standards that they had, and it wasn't what I wanted. Mm. So anyway, you know, in that situation, there's only one loser, and that's me. <laughs> so I yeah. was dismissed. So second time round... I had to change. I had looked to see what Ron had done at Sheffield Wednesday. I worked for him, of course, as a player. So I just tried to let it continue. I didn't try and alter too much because I knew that the players were happy with the way that they worked under Ron. Mm. And you played for quite a few games for Sheffield Wednesday as well. Yes, did- I did. I played a number of games. Um, you know, we won the League Cup final. We beat Manchester United. I came into the, you know... Uh, the club as, as, as the manager in the top division and in my first season we actually got to third in the league that's right and it was only on the penultimate Saturday that we were ruled out of the title race which was won by Leeds United mm. and Howard Wilkinson beating Manchester United to the uh, you know to the to the title but you know we were then in Europe you know we mm. played in what was then the Cup Winners Cup we got through to uh, two cup finals yeah on both occasions mm. we were against Arsenal and we lost both. Yeah. <laughs> you don't seem too. You don't seem too bitter about that. If I had a choice, I'd have preferred to, to have played them. one of them against Tottenham. Right. Okay. We, you know, Arsenal played uh, Tottenham in the FA Cup semi-final, and Sheffield Wednesday played Sheffield United in the other, both at Wembley. Hmm. Actually, the Sheffield United game was the biggest game of all the occasions we played at Wembley. We hmm. played at Wembley uh, three, four times hmm. in the space of a month. Hmm. Because obviously the semi-finals were played there. Yeah, um, there was a replay in the mm. FA Cup final, mm. but it was difficult against Arsenal. Mm. You know, George Graham was, uh, you know, a shrewd tactician. Mm. He smothered us. We were a very expansive team. You know, our, our best player was Chris Waddle. Mm. Um, one of my best signings was Chris. I signed mm. him from uh, Marseille. Mm. Uh, how things have changed. I flew over to to Paris by myself to have a meeting in an office where I was given the address and it was one-to-one and the guy I was talking with was the president of Marseille Football Club, Bernard Tapie. Yeah. Who was, you know, very famous at the time. Yeah. I conducted the uh, the negotiations. I got Chris in for a million pound and it's the best million pound that Sheffield Wednesday have ever mm. spent. I wouldn't think there's been a better player in the history of Sheffield Wednesday than Chris Waddle. Mm. He, that year... He rega- he should have regained his place in the international team. He didn't, but he was named Football of the Year, and rightly so. He mm. was brilliant. Mm. And around that time, you do, I believe I'm right in saying this might be an urban myth. So forgive me if it is that you um, tried to sign Eric Cantona for Sheffield Wednesday. Is that is that true? Well, that's the way it was reported, but there, right. was, there was never any suggestion of me signing Eric Cantona. Mm. But that wasn't made clear. Um, right. I'll just quickly, I'll keep it as brief as possible. Um, Eric Cantona was out of football. He'd, he'd retired. Michel Platini uh, was the international manager, French manager, mm. and he wanted to try and get him back in the shot window. Mm. So he approached my agent, Dennis Roach, um, and Dennis said, listen, you know, can you give Eric two or three days training? Let it, you know, people write about him. I said, fine. I said, as long as there's, there's 
there's, there's an understanding here that you know there's no way that we've just come into this league that we could a- a- actually you know afford Eric Cantona. Mm. You know, so I'm doing it, and the club also you know cannot foot the bill. Mm. You know, flights, hotels, it's got to be done by whoever, but mm. not Sheffield Wednesday. Mm. So he was there for three days. Adverse weather conditions. We couldn't train on the our training ground. We had to go over to Rotherham on Astral Turf. Then he was at the Sheffield Arena indoors playing on, you know, uh, in, in the indoor stadium there. And the press started to write, oh, Cantona, like what a player. Wednesday going to sign him? Well, I said, listen, this is just ridiculous. At that moment, Howard Wilkinson came in. I said, with pleasure, you know, you take him, mm. um, give him a few days training, you know, he didn't want to stay any longer with me. He felt that I, he, he was being asked to go on trial. That was right. ne- that was never the case. That wasn't the case. No, okay. I, I wouldn't uh, insult somebody like Cantona. Um, but he came with a huge entourage. You know, press agents. Mm. You know, physios. Uh, he, he, he was obviously a big player. Mm. Uh, so he moved to Leeds, mm. and to this day, you know, I, I've I, I've often been asked, you know. How could you not see that, you know, Cantona, you know, he was such a good player. I said, listen, <laughs> it wasn't a case. I no. was never, ever in a position where I could sign or even contemplate signing him. Well, you set the record straight there then. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's in the book and I tried yeah. to make it as clear as possible. Hmm. When I look back, in hindsight, I should have made it clearer 20 years ago when I was at Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, absolutely. When, when you left Sheffield Wednesday, you left them, I think, 13th in the top flight and they were in... You know, pretty pretty good shape, I think, relatively speaking, particularly in what like, what's gone on since. How did you feel about about being being relieved of your position there? Did you think it was unfair? Well, I was there for four years as manager. Um, first season we were third, mm. then we had a seventh, mm. then we had a seventh. In the fourth season, I decided that one or two players I felt you know were coming towards the latter part of their careers. They could still play, but I needed to freshen it up, get a little bit more you know, uh, youth into the team, a little bit more athleticism. Mm -hmm. So I changed it around a little bit. But unfortunately, you know, the board, they didn't back me on this. So, of course, results started to suffer. We, as you rightly said, finished 13th in the league Mm. and I was sacked. Mm. Uh, Still to this day, you know, I meet Sheffield Wednesday fans and they look back and think, you know, what could have been. Mm. Those were great days. Mm. Um, they they can't ever swap those days. Mm. I love my time. It's a big club, Sheffield Wednesday. Mm. Uh, very very passionate they are in the mm. city of Sheffield. You know about their football, and uh, as I say, Wednesday are a big big club. And it's sad to see that so many of my clubs are actually in the championship. Mm. You know we've talked about QPR, we've talked about Birmingham, we've talked about Nottingham Forest, yeah. we've talked yeah. about Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. I want them all back in the Premier League. Te- Trevor, I'll tell you what's a real testament to you and, and your time at Sheffield Wednesday as the manager there is that I regularly, semi-regularly in, in this line of work, meet football fans all the time, and there's quite a lot of there's a, quite a smattering of them who are around my age who, despite having no connection to Sheffield support Sheffield Wednesday because when they were coming up at like 10, 11 years old, they loved watching Chris Waddle. They loved watching that Sheffield Wednesday team and they and they support them now for the rest of their lives. That's an amazing legacy to leave. Thank you very much. And just, just quickly there, I mean, I, I spoke about Chris Waddle. We also had Andy Sinton. Hmm. We had Carlton Palmer. Hmm. We had Chris Woods. Hmm. We had Des Walker. Now, what, are they all they, what do they all have in connection? Great, yeah. They're all England, England players. players yeah. yeah. You know, so... Roland Nielsen, Swedish international. We had top, top players. 
Um, no, it was it was great to be in, in Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I didn't do bad as a player there either for no. Ron Atkinson. I was there for about 18 months, but that kind of gets overlooked. I don't mind that because mm. if they want to talk about what I did as a manager, I'm more than happy. But mm. I also contributed as a player. Yeah, when I mean, you played... Uh, Until uh, I was 39. You played about 100, maybe almost 100 games for them at, at that age. Something like that. Do you know, I would love to have played till I was 40. Yeah. But do you know the manager wouldn't, wouldn't select me? Oh, do, you know, do you know that manager was? Go on. Me. You. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it's your own fault then. It's well, your own well fault. as I was improving the team, yeah. I was making it harder to justify By my playing. selection. Did you find that difficult? Well, yeah, the team was getting stronger and stronger. And obviously, all I was interested in is getting results. Mm. I wasn't interested in whether Trevor Francis could play. But were you tempted? I'll give myself 10 minutes. At the not end. at all. No. no. Well, that's a testament to the character you are, Trevor. No, but, but it would be nice, you know, if I wasn't involved in management, then I'd have played till I was 40 because I kept myself in good nick. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, obviously, you went on to manage other clubs as well and, and I'm conscious that we're, we're taking up a lot of your time. So, uh, the one question I really desperately want to ask you though is that You've been out of the game for a very long time now, and I understand you know you may have your own reasons for that. Maybe you won't even want to talk talk about them, but it's, I think it's been sixteen years since you were last in the game. I know you've been in the media and stuff. But when you when you stopped managing, you were a relatively young man. Why why did you why did you not take another job? What what was the reason? Well, my last managerial position was Crystal Palace. Yeah, and I finished at the age of forty nine. Mm. It was my forty ninth birthday. Mm. Um, of course, I recall it. That night, I went to see Paul McCartney. That's, okay. that's, that's my other great passion, his music. Yeah. Um, and I kind of had a feeling that as I was leaving Palace, that was the end. You really? never say you never. Say never but Why I do you think you felt that? I just had enough of it. Right. I'd had enough of, of management. Um, I enjoyed the media. I've been for a long time associated with, you know, Sky Sports and BT, mm. BT Sport. And I've enjoyed my time as a commentator or as a pundit, not doing so much now. Mm. Um, the loss of my wife two and a half years ago is, has really uh, taken its toll. It's had a huge effect on, on myself. Mm. Um, there's still a passion, you know, for, for football, but I don't do so much now. But um, there'll always be uh, an interest from me in professional footballer. Mm. As much as it's changed today, mm. um, I still, you know, can't take my eye off it. Trevor, it's been an absolute pleasure. This has been an amazing story told of her life in football. We, we thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for making it so interesting because, you know, without the quality of questions... Wow, Trevor, now, you, now yeah. you're flattering me. No, no, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm an honest guy. <laughs> this was a Stakhanov production. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. 
Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.